0: anyway so i'm looking at the screen and he's explaining everything to me and i was like that's actually kind of cool and he was like yeah it actually is and then there's a, a pause and i say to a room full of doctors and nurses do you guys like pimple popping videos and all of them were like gross and i was like you are literally looking at my <laughs> right now and you have the audacity to tell me that that's gross i that's think that's
1: gross. the opener if we start doing cold openers that's it
0: somewhere if you want to
1: see sure maybe we should make that the episode art.
0: Or... yeah I'll, i can regale everyone with what it's like to get a colonoscopy the prep
1: how frequently do you all have to do them
0: i have to do them every five years um i have other family members that have to do them yearly
1: You're all quite certain that this person is a doctor and not some sort of weird, like, OnlyFans fetishist who's streaming you all.
0: No, he is a legitimate doctor. Okay. have to go to the foothills, so he's either very, very sneaky or an actual doctor.
1: Well, I mean, actual doctors can do crimes.
0: You know, that's true. But (laughs) that just means he's got a lot of accomplices, so this is going to be big news
1: if it ever ever (laughs) breaks. If it ever breaks, man.
0: So today we're talking the cartoons of our childhood that shaped who we are as adults, for, for better or for worse.
1: And let me tell you, I got both.
0: <laughs> this is, do we need to have a trigger warning for this episode?
1: Uh, maybe. Uh, satanic Panic. Um, that's largely what we're going to get into dealing with cartoons of my youth what I was allowed to watch and what I was not allowed to watch was very much influenced by the the 80s satanic panic and my mom's uh my mom's beliefs influence therein
0: so so tell me about this because that like
1: is that where we want to start yeah
0: I want to know about this because I I, I wasn't allowed to eat fast food meat and that was kind <laughs> of it you know
1: I love that that's great um I mean I was raised you know, in varying shades of of Christian that could be described as fundamental, uh, depending on the year or whatever was going on at the time. Um, And part of that was uh, a phenomenon in the 80s known as satanic panic. If you've always hated pop music and suspected that rock stars are somehow doing the devil's work, then you'll appreciate this man. Hello, this is Pastor Gary again, and I'm doing a message called Rock a Bye Bye Baby about the rock music craze. From his television studio in Santa Ana, California, complete with fog machines and fancy lighting, Gary Greenwald is leading a personal crusade. If you listen closely, he says, the devil is speaking to us on many long playing records. His message embedded backwards at 33 and a third RPM.
0: It sounds familiar, but I don't think I know the nuances of
1: it. Basically, uh, during the 80s, there was this huge, huge sort of swell of concern about satanic rituals and satanic influence in uh, North American culture. And of course, you know, spurred on by uh, Christian conservatives, um, you know, the shift in the governing powers back to uh, conservatives in the early 80s, I believe that was. And uh, that led to all sorts of different things that kind of originated in 1980 with, uh, some different publications that talked about, you know, the spreading satanic influence and it, and it kind of peaked in the mid early to mid nineties, I guess, or, or hit its denouement at that point. But, uh, there were a lot of writings and Christian theological writings that came out of this, uh, with, you know, the same sort of hacks and, uh, Christian charlatanism um that came out of there and and things were written and in particular this one book called turmoil in the toy box basically took everything lovely and fluffy and enjoyable about being a kid in the 80s and connected it back to satanism uh through some 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 stretches leaps and bounds and uh basically meant that there were very few cartoons that i was allowed to watch because generally speaking they were all connected to satanism and uh Dark magic and the occult, and were not figuratively but literally trying to influence my brain for the devil, um, and that was the whole point of these things existing. That was what they were designed for, machinated in order to, uh, you know, cultivate young brains and 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 poison them for the devil. And hey, if you look at sort of the progressive leanings of most millennials, I guess it worked. I guess they were onto something. Um, back when I used to do a webcomic, I wrote a whole like sort of blog post about uh, this particular book, Turmoil in the Toy Box, and uh, um, just sort of its terrible influence. But basically, you know, it covers some things that you'd expect, like He Man. And the Masters of the Universe. Oh, you can see the Satanism there in the weird creatures and Skeletor and shit like that. But then it went on to cartoons like Care Bears.
0: No.
1: Not Care Bears. Care Bears countdown. Four, three, two... Yeah, yeah, there were reasonings behind uh, Care Bears being satanic that I can't paraphrase at this point, but basically it didn't matter that their whole point was to help guide children into, um, you know, giving a shit about others and trying to take care of others and not treat each other poorly and, and somehow managed to twist that into their powers are given to them by the devil and trying to influence them into Satanism and stuff like this. Everything led back to trying to influence you into Satanism. Casper, the friendly ghost. This is when I actually really remember, um, Casper apparently was a, a named after a murdered Satanist, uh, murderer guy from like the whatever turn of the century or something bullshit like that. And so like the cartoon was actually subliminally trying to, you know, get children to glorify, you know, murder and Satanism no. and hurt others, etc etc et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So we hit them. We hit, you know, the Smurfs are actually demonic creatures that live in a forest, and uh,
0: well, that, I can see that. That's pretty accurate. Enough. Yeah,
1: nobody likes the Smurfs, uh, the Strumphs. Tiny
0: creatures live. They call themselves Smurfs. They were.
1: Good. Uh, and then, like Ninja Turtles, mutations, and the devil, etc. So basically, I was left with very few viewing options, and a lot of the times uh, with Christian alternatives to, you know, the mainstream cartoon fare of the eighties.
0: So what did you watch then of that, that you were allowed and that your parents were cool with?
1: Oh God. So stuff that I was able to watch that was like mainstream cartoonisms or secular as we used to call it. Uh, I was able to watch Inspector Gadget. That seemed to be okay. Robots, generally my mom seemed to be cool with. Uh, I still love Inspector Gadget. I watched the sort of 80s animated version of Astro Boy, which was huge on me and my interest in art and animation. Um, And uh, that's kind of it for a long while. As we get older and uh, start being a little more rebellious, I start watching other shows and trying to talk my mom into not giving a shit about me watching them. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we get into some other stuff, but I'd say those are the two big influential ones that I remember being allowed to watch and getting away with. And feeling like I still remember them having an impact on uh, what I enjoyed. Wow. Yeah, and then the other influential cartoon—I was going to say we do top three basically—and the other one I was going to talk about it was actually sort of a live-action animation mix, which was called *McGee and Me*, which was a production of uh, *Focus on the Family*. If you're familiar with them, uh, can
0: that I am, Ben. No.
1: Oh my god, it's a huge American institution that uh, produces. Christian family first content, I guess. Whereas, in the idea of family is, you know, heterosexual couple that produces children, and family values, protectors, etc. So, a lot of content from those those folks. But the McGee and me one was interesting to me because it was about a kid who drew a cartoon character that comes to life, and you know, oh. is his friend. So, the Christian stuff, notwithstanding, it was influential in me for again being interested in art and animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, turmoil in the toy box is a whole thing. I'll just... I'll send you a link to it. It's-
0: Please do. I can't top that. That's an amazing... I'm kind of, like, up It's fucked gobsmacked. up. That's... That's... Wow. That's wild. That's...
1: Don't try to top my, my sheltered, messed-up childhood. <laughs> just embrace in the warm feelings of knowing it didn't happen to you.
0: When it came to TV, we just didn't have cable for a long time. So as long as it was on um cbc or ctv
1: yeah
0: one of those types of channels we could watch it yeah so
1: yeah you just clued me into a whole part of content that i forgot about cbc was a huge thing we watched cbc all the time my family was a huge supporter of cbc now they're you know a progressive mouthpiece for the liberal government and we need to defund them and it's just like what the fuck happened yo yeah like
0: were we not all watching Road to avonlea just the other day yep we were basically allowed to watch anything before five o'clock on cbc because that's when the news came on and we didn't give a shit. But if it was on CBC, we were good to go. And then once we started to get a little bit of cable, we were allowed to watch PBS um, and then YTV. And I think that was it for a really long time. So it was whatever we could watch on those channels. So it was pretty limited in terms of cartoons. So I had to look up the list. And so there's the mid to late 80s cartoons because I was born in 85.
1: Yeah.
0: So I don't remember
1: no, I'm 84 myself, so there's a lot of stuff we don't remember until kind of turn of the decade there.
0: Yeah. So some of a lot of the ones that I watched were right around the 89 to 90 kind of time frame. So I would say the raccoons.
1: Yeah, I forgot about the raccoons, and trying to pretend that they weren't hugely influential would be uh, disingenuous.
0: They were. They were amazing. I think it's one of the reasons that I love nature so much because i just pictured that was alberta Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe it was some type of like liberal propaganda because i was constantly like Cyril sneer is trying to suck oil out of the mountains hmm Mm
1: -hmm. what does
0: this sound like ben this sounds awfully familiar
1: he's a shitty conservative (laughs) businessman he's an aardvark does that fuck you up
0: it did because i didn't think of them as as anything i thought of them as pink globs
1: The only thing they looked like was Gonzo from the Muppets, but naked. But naked, shaved. shaved
0: (laughs) But I loved everything about them because there was oh gosh, what are their names? But anyway, there was like the young raccoon who was a little bit wild and crazy, and then like the two older raccoons who were caring for everybody. Bert, yes. And I just I really I saw myself in them, which sounds Mm -hmm. interesting. But then it was a toss-up between Jem and the holograms, or just Jem and She-Ra, because we had the toys to go with She-Ra.
1: hmm Yeah, we weren't allowed those.
0: Oh, they were so cool. I'm so sad for you. The
1: princesses of power. Where did they get that power from, Satan?
0: <laughs> I mean, I can't really, I can't say no. I'm, I don't know where they're
1: from. No, maybe they did could have been seen
0: i just remember watching one episode where it was the she-ra and he-man crossover and at one point she-ra says my brother and then hugs he-man and i was like what no because i thought they were hugging a little too like he's in his underpants she's in her booby dress and they're hugging and i was Mm -hmm. just like
1: oh you don't have to worry about that he-man's very gay i see that now yeah and i mean like as an icon sort of thing like very positive good for him
0: Oh, I mean, if you can get away with being an icon and having that type of haircut, good on you.
1: The page boy, the squire haircut.
0: <laughs> the squire haircut, that's exactly.
1: Oh, sir, so I've brought you it's... your elderberries. <laughs> Just
0: so bad. But I can think of so many boys that had that haircut in the 90s. But I, I-, I loved she We had the was it the Crystal Fortress, the Crystal Palace? Anyway, it was my sister's and I wasn't allowed to touch it. So naturally, as soon as she wasn't home, I played with it all the time. And they were just the coolest toys. But Jem, I wanted to be Jem. She was in a band. She was really cool. And I feel like that show also covered some pretty intense subject matter. I've looked. I don't think this actually happened. I think I made it up in my imagination. But I swear to you, I watched an episode where one of the holograms took ecstasy and tried to jump out of a window and Jem had to stop her.
1: Were you able to find any corroborating evidence towards this episode?
0: No, I've asked my sister and she was like, I think you're crazy.
1: Yeah. You had like a worms medicine induced uh, fever vision.
0: Maybe. I don't know what happened, but I could have sworn to you that one of the holograms was like, I'm a bird. I can fly. And Jem was like, no, and grabbed her and pulled her back in either way, it scared the hell out of me from drugs. So mm. thanks, Jim. Yeah, because you saved me from uh, potential, potential bad choices. Um, but then the third one, and this is, it's, it's tricky.
1: It's tricky. It's tricky.
0: I don't know. I really did like Inspector Gadget. But I think I got to go with um, Legend of Zelda.
1: Oh, the cartoon?
0: Excuse, Excuse me, princess!
1: <laughs> I do that at home sometimes and Fiona just wants to like kill me.
0: I do it to myself all the time when I make a mistake. Excuse me, princess! <laughs>
1: It's so great. Kind of
0: like a, an early Urkel. Uh, I know, do they really it's, do
1: that? it's pretty good. Uh, it's great because it was combined uh, usually in a block with uh, that mo- weird-ass Mario show.
0: Hey, paisanos, it's the Super Mario Brothers Super Show! Yeah, where they were act- like the live-action Mario. It was
1: the live-action intro, and then you get like the weird cartoon that seemed divorced from many of the games. And then uh, that was usually... Uh, the third one that rounded that out was the the Captain N. Yes, uh, show, oh, you know, yeah. Nintendo Power, whatever it was called. Captain N, the game master.
0: No, no, I'm taking it back. I don't pick Link or Legend of Zelda.
1: I mean, we don't usually let people walk things back on dork matters, but this time, yeah. You know what? You're the judge. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm taking my mulligan. I'm taking it back. Okay, okay. I'm going with Rocky and
1: bullwinkle Oh shit! Right. Yeah, I watched a lot of it in the 80s. It was one of our safe shows.
0: Yeah. It, my dad used to watch it with me because it, it, well, when it, it, it's an old cartoon, but it was really hammered on the TV when we were growing up, right? So
1: It was always on. And the VHSs were at the video store, and, you know, your parents recognized it, yeah. so they bring it home.
0: Oh, yeah, we were allowed to. That, like, that was the one where wow. if it came on, it was also that time.
1: Hey, boo-boo. Want to see me pull a rabbit out of my head? Oh, go, that trick never works. Uh, nothing in my sleeve. Ow. And then he pulls the line out. I've been doing that voice since I first saw that cartoon. As like a three-year-old. I fucking love it.
0: That one part I loved um, was Dudley Do-Right.
1: Yeah, because that was the can con. That's as close as we got.
0: Yeah, and I did have this image in my head of Mounties being kind of doofuses until... Um, you know, there was more of the, like, NFB kind of short films that would cover those things.
1: Did you watch Do South?
0: Oh, yeah. Did I watch Do South? Yeah, of course. One of the greatest um, first episodes of a TV series ever.
1: I can't remember it uh, at all.
0: Oh. So he's walking in this, like... So it's Leslie Nielsen. That's Walking in this, like, gorge. Like, big ravine type of thing.
1: Leslie Nielsen's in Do South?
0: The one episode.
1: That's oh, how it gets wow. started.
0: Because... He's walking. Is
1: he Canadian?
0: Leslie Nielsen was Canadian, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, I remember this. My like vague recollections.
0: I remember so well because my dad looked at me and he was like, oh, that's a good line. Because you hear, like, a gun cock and there's no one around. And he turns around and he says something like, You're going to shoot him, Mountie? They'll hunt you to the ends of the earth. And then they shoot him. Oh. Great. Right? And then, so the whole story of Due South is um, Paul Gross. Paul Gross. Why do I remember find, that? <laughs> because it's Paul Gross. Come on.
1: Yeah. Because
0: Paul Gross is Leslie Nielsen's son who's trying to find his father's murderer in America. Boom.
1: Oh, in the show. I was like, Paul Gross is Leslie Nielsen's son? What? Well, in the TV show. The TV. Yeah, no, I'm with you now. Uh, it's important to remember that I don't have two degrees,
0: <laughs> I have three, Ben. Oh, the fuck? What's your third one? I have the BFA. Yeah. Um, bachelor in, ed- in education and then a master's degree in education.
1: Oh, I thought you just skipped the bachelor of education and you were able to jump to master's.
0: No. You do um, an after degree. So instead of it being a four-year degree, it was two.
1: Oh, shit. Well, that's too many degrees. That's why I don't have any because you took them all.
0: <laughs> you just wait until I apply for my PhD. Oh,
1: are you really going to do it? Don't go and do it?
0: Yeah, I'm going to apply. I- I- I've got a plan. I want to go be an assistant principal in a couple schools Mm -hmm. get some experience, understand. And then I'd like to
1: apply to do my PhD. Nice. That sounds great. Uh, Before I found out how much uh, work being a stay at home parent was, I had this grand um, dream of uh, taking my bachelor in science through Athabasca. Um, I got approved and stuff and entered into their uh, biology stream. And I was going to do that. And then, I just didn't, because it turns out watching a kid gives you about an hour or two a day where you're not watching them and dealing with them. And uh, all you really want to do is uh, literally anything that doesn't make you think about having to watch them again in a couple hours.
0: So you make a podcast.
1: So you make a podcast.
0: Well, I hope you eventually do that, but I understand. Everything. Yeah, eh, Whatever.
1: I uh, We'll see. Um, that was a good pull, though. We got way off topic. We, we did. So cartoons, we only told two. Well, I did that kind of pseudo live action, but I'm going to dump that. I'm glad we talked about it as a little bit of a, a like color. Yeah. Um, one of my other ones has to be, I love the raccoons. I want to do that, but I don't want to chomp, uh, you know, bite your style or whatever. Do it. It's it's definitely up there. Raccoons. I watch the hell out of And I think it's a very Canadian show mm-hmm. in a way that not many shows are. Um, but I feel like Transformers has to get mixed in here somewhere. Again, like somehow I got away with a relatively violent show like Transformers because they were robots shooting each other as opposed to real humans or something like that. So it's a theme. Astro Boy, Inspector Gadget, Transformers, a lot of robots involved. Yeah.
0: So that's of your childhood. And then there's kind of the myth of the preteen years. So before, like when you're maybe eight to eleven. Were there any cartoons in that span that you really remember having a huge influence on you?
1: That's tough. My memories are uh, up until like a couple of years ago aren't very good. Uh, I think I might be blocking stuff out, but um, not. You know what? I don't know. Maybe, maybe something like Darkwing Duck. Shit. No, it gets it gets blurrier. Harder to remember. What about you? Maybe you'll jog some stuff for me.
0: Uh, I would say Sailor Moon was a huge, huge influence on me from like grade four till about grade eight. And then once I got into junior high, it was like my dirty secret. I loved Sailor Moon. I watched it. I collected Sailor Moon, everything. Cards, comic books, coloring books, action figures, everything. The best Christmas of my life. I remember my mom was like, I went to Dragon City Mall. I went into one of the shops there and like, I can't remember what it was called. And she just went to the person at the till and was like, take me to your Sailor Moon stuff. And this woman brought her to this section. And my mom was like, oh my God. And she just bought me everything because it was also cheap, right? Like a comic book or. Because
1: it was bootleg.
0: Yeah, it was bootleg. (laughs) So it was like a dollar for a coloring book. She was like, shit, I'll take twenty.
1: Nice. And it
0: was the greatest Christmas of my life.
1: Oh, that's really sweet and wholesome. It,
0: I had so many Sailor Moon cards. I still have them. And they were beautiful. And I remember we had exchange students uh, from China and they didn't speak a lot of English, but one day one of them saw me drawing Sailor Sherry and Terry. Um Sherry saw me drawing Sailor Moon.
1: No, that wasn't really their name. That was
0: actually their names. I swear to you.
1: That's literally the twins from the Simpsons.
0: I know they weren't twins though. One was a couple years older and one was my age. And so Sherry was my age and she saw me drawing Sailor Moon poorly and she started bringing in all of her cards. And that's actually how we became friends and how we started. Um, I would teach her a little bits of Well, I didn't teach her English. I mean, we we're just kids, right? We would just talk about Sailor Moon and it brought us together and I loved it. So I, I still love Sailor Moon, but that was
1: huge. Well, Lexi, I've got a surprise for you. Guess who's here tonight?
0: Is it Sherry? It's Sherry. Oh my God.
1: Bring her on out, everybody.
0: <laughs> oh, she was so lovely. <laughs>
1: this is your life.
0: I remember, and that was how I made friends. It was, um, there was a girl in my class, Sydney Koch, and she she was a very lovely, very kind person. I was kind of a, a shitty little kid, but we were friends over Sailor Moon. I can't Moon. see that. I would, no, I was a I was not, I was a tough one, but I still remember she, she put a little note in my pencil box one day that said, dear Alex, do you still like Sailor Moon? Yes. No. And then you circled which one. And
1: what did you circle? Don't leave us hanging.
0: I think I circled. Yes.
1: Nice. Because it
0: was very important, but that was also the power range, like power Rangers were coming in. So I had to make a choice, but I would say Sailor Moon was really, really influential on me, but then so was X-Men.
1: Oh, yeah. As we start getting into that, like, pre-teenage, yeah, X-Men's yeah. definitely their Reboot. Yes. Another great Canadian production. Uh, I forgot about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles somehow. Uh, How could you do I It's the first show that I watched illicitly. I knew I wasn't allowed to. My mom said they were evil. Um, and uh, I wasn't allowed to play with the toys. And I still managed to, like, go to friends' houses and watch episodes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was so fun
0: fun it was a great show and
1: radical yeah and uh yeah that's i still love those radical green turtles i can't walk over a sewer without being like you down there yo raf Raph.
0: Raphael was my favorite
1: my favorite was donatello
0: really was it because of his yeah. leadership
1: no it's because he had a bow staff and i thought a bow staff was cool it turns out it might be the lamest fucking weapon on the show no, but I liked it, and I still do. It took me a long time to admit to myself that Michelangelo wasn't really my favorite. It was Donatello. No.
0: Just yeah, go with it. He was the sciency kind of one too, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I think they leaned into that more um, as the show sort of progressed and like different iterations of it happened. Like it was always part of the song. Donatello does machines, but uh,
0: no, he really didn't.
1: You know, he didn't do that many machines on the show that I recall. Yeah.
0: I seem to remember him being surrounded by books like he'd be sitting there oh hi guys
1: definitely more studious you just made me think of another show and then I lost it while I was talking about turtles because that's who I am now
0: I can prattle them off because I had to do a little bit of um a look through to remind myself of all the different shows like Dragon Ball Z
1: Dragon Ball Z was huge so good huge Do we want to get into any of these anymore? Is this is this sort of it? Where we just going to recap all the shows that we like to watch? I am
0: just going to read you a list of. Come uh,
1: down <laughs> nostalgia lane with us.
0: <laughs> this was the time I think that the the shows of the late eighties, early nineties formed who I am as a person. I think because watching shows like Shira or Gem, I think of myself as a strong feminist who also likes a good booby shirt every here and there. Why not? Hey.
1: I was going to get into the same sort of uh, concept with, uh, like Inspector Gadget uh, showed me sort of the ineptitude of the white male and how they still manage to stay, you know, the central focus, even though a uh, smarter woman is actually doing the work. And and maybe it's insidious, but that's where it started for me, my dislike for white men.
0: How do you feel about dogs that are very smart?
1: Uh, uh, It's fine. Dogs scare me. I got chased a dog busted through a window when I was delivering flyers once as a kid. And it like, it was friendly, but it knocked me the hell over on the sidewalk and I'll never forget that.
0: Well, that's scary, but
1: it's traumatizing,
0: but then you watch Penny and brain help Mm -hmm. solve all those crimes.
1: Yeah, no brains, great, trusty, hardworking, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you know, the dynamic of this gigantic oafish white guy who takes all the credit for everything doesn't solve a goddamn thing. And has millions of dollars worth of tech built into him is is a wild ride
0: it's kind of like the child's version of robocop wasn't it
1: yeah kind of but uh you know in robocop he's still sort of considered competent and i know that inspector gadget is wildly influenced by like inspector Clouseau and, and the pink panther stuff and like yes yeah the incompetent inspector is a great sort of kind of amusing archetype but it certainly led to my interest in sort of uh post-humanism transhumanism whatever you want to call it and uh sort of technological influences, uh, singularity approaches and that sort of thing.
0: That's a really interesting one. Hey, that the the early cartoons shape who you are as a person, and then the later cartoons shape more of who you are as an artist or creative individual. Because I was thinking like Sailor Moon, Powerpuff Girls... X Men, Batman Beyond, like that; those kinds of shows were my favorite Oh, Batman Beyond! So good, that really like gothic kind of stuff. Ooh, speaking of gothic, let's not forget about gargoyles. We are
1: defenders of the night. We are gargoyles. How have they not brought gargoyles back yet?
0: Did you know it was only one season?
1: No, it's. uh, I'm sorry, I just read about this recently. There's the main first season, and then they do. Um, some amended uh, seasons that follow with like no, subtitles and stuff.
0: I thought it was only one.
1: I'm going to Wikipedia. We should have a sound effect for that. It does shift tonally very significantly. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm not hundred percent on this, but I'm going to surmise that the reason that you think it was one season was because uh, wherever we watched it, I can't remember what station was covering it, probably YTV or something. Uh, they only had like the one season basically replaying on, on, Uh, like over and over again. It would cycle back to the beginning after the first season. They didn't know the other couple seasons.
0: Oh, that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, when I picked my top three, when I gave you, or at least my top two with giving you uh, Astro Boy and Inspector Gadget, Mm -hmm. Astro Boy is the very first cartoon I remember watching.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Uh,
1: And I have vivid, vivid memories of the uh, theme song from the beginning and the end. And basically at the end, there's this flip sheet of uh, a running animation sequence that they show Mm -hmm. with Astro Boy running, and then he takes off and flies away after that. And that's where, oh, I want to do animation Mm -hmm. came from. And I found out how much work that was and decided to find some easier way of doing art, which led me to comics, which are not actually that much easier, but they're easier than animation by a very far shot.
0: Yes, good grief. But that makes a lot of sense that those formative years that had such a big impact on you and your art style and just even your pathway. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. What's the first cartoon you remember watching?
0: I think it might've been Rocky and Bullwinkle that I first
1: remember really watching. That's definitely early for me too. Cause there
0: wasn't really the same type of little kid TV shows back then that there are now. Like there's *Treehouse blue, like all of those types of shows. I don't even know. Um, Guardians.
1: Oh, we'll have to do an episode on children's television or at least the children's television of our youth. Um, because we have to talk about like Mr. Dress oh, of yeah. Fred Penner, the friendly giant, polka dot door.
0: I the friendly giant made me feel sick. Like it just all. Oh really? Yeah, it just made me feel like sleepy and unwell. I mean it's boring. <laughs> it was boring as shit. But it was also very comforting. Yeah,
1: there's a little chair over here for you and uh that weird rooster in a backpack that was hanging on the wall.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of things that I was like, "Why for? What's happening here?"
1: You move the little chairs on the on the on the little diorama at the bottom of the set.
0: I thought all things were Canadian at that time. A
1: lot more was
0: right. So I didn't understand why, and I, I sadly until very recently, I thought Fred Rogers was Canadian, and then when they're. Mm-hmm tom hanks is playing him in a movie and there's documentaries about him my first thought was where's the documentary about mr Dressup?" god damn it
1: who is an american who moves to canada really yeah hmm.
0: i can't think of anything else like there was a lot of cartoons that i thought came really close like beetlejuice or the the real ghostbusters
1: i remember those but i don't know if they were influential on me like that whole block of Saturday Morning Cartoons was always sort of influential in its sort of existence together.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and those weird no-do-drug PSAs at Garfield and stuff. Like, I remember watching all of those, but I really tried to, like, what is something that I can look at and think to myself, I know what this meant to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's that's harder for me to do. The Raccoons was a great one for you because I you can see how it influenced your uh, the importance you put on nature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I can get that. I get that for sure. That's really... That's really sound. I don't know if Reboot had any of that, but it was still cool.
0: Oh, it was great. And I think at that point, too, I had that kind of like the frontal lobe was starting to form and I could actually think. And I thought, that's really cool that that's made in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I took a lot of pride knowing that there were certain shows out there. Because at that point, I did understand America was a separate country. Canada was its own thing. And not all things were created in Canada.
1: No, and you start getting that nationalism dumped into you.
0: Yeah. And I was really proud. I was like, that's awesome that, you know, we made that. I mean, obviously. And I was really proud of those types of shows that were made in Canada. Because now we joke around about when something's kind like a little funny, but not really, or just slightly low budget. We're like, oh, this is Canadian. And that's why shows like Schitt's Creek yeah. or um, Kim's Convenience are so awesome. Because you're like, oh, thank God. It's really, really funny. It's well-written. It's kind of breaking the mold of...
1: yeah and it avoids needing a large budget to be worthwhile yeah no yeah i couldn't i couldn't nail down some sort of influence beast wars was cool like there's a lot of cool cartoons we watch but i think the three that i talked about up front or at least the two and the the one sort of weirdly christian live action animation combo are kind of the big ones for me yeah that's kind of where i land on those ones
0: I think that's kind of yeah. That's uh, that's it for me. It's the I I keep coming back to Sailor Moon, and thinking about how that was probably.
1: Is that the one you choose if we had to pick one? If you had to choose only one, if we did the Highlander thing? Yeah, if we
0: had to pick one. If we
1: were doing TV shows, Highlander would be one of them.
0: Oh, it would not be one for me. I'm fine with it. I just like meh.
1: Duncan mcleod of the Clan MacLeod filmed in Vancouver. That's not <laughs> what this episode is about. We're talking about. The most influential cartoons of our childhood, and we talked about it. We hit them. We nailed them. Let's pick our favorites, our top top dogs. Do you think it's Sailor Moon?
0: I'm picking Sailor Moon as my top dog.
1: Mm-hmm. It's Astro Boy for me, the earliest memory, and that was before I even understood anything about the world of Osamu Tezuka and like his comics, and like my love for, you know, everything he did would just continue to grow over time as I got older and older. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I would say like Sailor Moon brought me to comics in general. Well, no, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to say it, it, it took me to a type of comic in general. Anime. Yeah. Manga. Yeah. That I didn't even understand existed until.
1: No, it was its own separate thing. It was othered pretty hard in sort it of was. culture of of Calgary, at least.
0: But it really kind of caught on, so to speak, which is such a shame because for so long it was kind of yeah ostracized or pushed into the corner. And it's such a beautiful art form and narrative form. So I I feel sad that I didn't come to it sooner, but it definitely opened my eyes to that whole world of things because right around that time too, like the internet started being widely accessible and I started looking for like, is there more Sailor Moon? And I was so bummed out that there were all these seasons of Sailor Moon, but we didn't have access to them in Canada. They were only available in Japan. And that's when I started getting to like the lesbian relationship or a parent um, relationship between two of the sailor scouts that was really, really whitewashed and straightwashed once it came to North America. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. that's sad. Why are they doing that? So I, I love sailor moon. I think it really formed a lot of who I am today as a person and as an artist, I think.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I think when we get to some sort of comics influences episode, you know, we'll hit probably a very universal theme, which is Peanuts Mm -hmm. and Charles Schultz. For most people, that's influenced Calvin and Hobbes. But uh, yeah, it was the other way around for Osama Tezuka and his work, um, because it was the animation that brought me to his comics much later when I got older and understood what I was reading and looking at with comics. Mm -hmm. In spite of having read you know, comics since I was a kid. It was uh, not something I really understood for a long time as a medium.
0: Well, and it's something that as an adult, or when you're an older teen, and then you start reading manga, or even watching movies like
1: Akira. Is Akira the first like anime movie you ever saw? Because I think it's mine.
0: Yeah, I would say Akira was. And
1: I can't even tell you when I saw it, but it was probably as a teen, somebody probably had a bootleg version of it, and we watched it, and we weren't supposed to.
0: I remember watching akira and being like what the fuck is this but loving it and watching it like five more times
1: it's weird it's entrancing
0: it is it made me feel like i was having a fever dream
1: yeah but that's exactly what it is there's like pulsating <laughs> roiling like that part in the in the nursery with the toddlers yes. and like everything's roiling and the glass is breaking and they're getting bloody and like the milk is dripping and like Oh it's I was, just, I was just
0: like, what is happening? But that brought me to Metropolis. And I would say Metropolis is one of my top ten movies of all time.
1: Yeah, we start getting into some wild, cool crossover here for me, which is still part of my influences, which is uh what's his name? The um the robot detective in Metropolis yes. is called Perot. Yep. Is sort of influenced by Perot, and then like the styling though is influenced by Clouseau. And so you get kind of a crossover there of that inspector genre, but Mm -hmm. like that crosses over with inspector gadget and his Clouseau influences. And like the robotic inspector is such a trope for me now. It's, it's so cool to me, Uh, but yeah, huge influence.
0: I loved the Art Nouveau aspect of that movie and how it, you know, was indicative of the, what is it like 1930s version of Metropolis.
1: And then to be clear, we're not talking about like the, uh, the live
0: yeah, no Metropolis film. Yeah, the anime version of Metropolis.
1: Osama Tezuka.
0: It, it was so good. And even there was really small influences of that Art Nouveau kind of style. But then that also speaks to why I loved Sailor Moon so much is because of the styling of the Sailor Scouts as they were transforming.
1: I never really even watched that much Sailor Moon. Um I don't know why it didn't really appeal to me, I guess, but I still drew a whole crap ton of like Sailor Moon characters, especially at like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm trying to remember, but I think it was about grade four and five. Um, I was at a weird Christian school that my parents had started. There was like 20 kids and like one of the other kids was a girl that was super into uh, mm-hmm. super into Sailor Moon. So we both draw those characters and I have a, a memory of that, which was kind of cool. It was very influential
0: so influential amazing it, it brought my love of drawing together with my love of space so
1: yeah. nice yeah one of those things that i really loved about like the osama tezuka work is that uh, that sort of idea of uh the characters that he draws um are actors in the different shows and like different comics mm. i always thought that was such a wild and cool concept uh that I'd never seen anywhere else before. So like you'd see those same looking characters like Duke Red and stuff from Metropolis, but like that same archetype character would show up as somebody else in a different bit of his work. That was always wild to me.
0: And you don't really see that anymore. I think archers try to do something kind of like that, but people don't really seem to, it's not the same.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think it's where they've just taken the exact same sort of character style and, and, Talked about them being somebody else completely. They're they're playing themselves in different roles. But yeah, Yeah. I always found that fascinating. I don't know what that means exactly. I've never examined. Um,
0: But it's just it's an interesting way to use cartoons to approach different themes or concepts in ways that I don't think a lot of people would think of, especially adults, because you see cartoons as something for little kids. Mm -hmm. But really, it I think we've it's like video games, and we've kind of talked about this. It's surpassed an age range at this point.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. So we want to know what your uh, top three most influential uh, childhood cartoons are. Uh, let us know either in the comments on the Instagram or Twitter or wherever. Send us an email. We'd love to know. We can uh, think about talking about some of those shows in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Or we'll tell you why you're wrong.
1: You're you're probably wrong.
0: If anybody doesn't like Sailor Moon.
1: Who wouldn't like Sailor Moon? We need to do a Sailor Moon episode, and I'm going to have to do a bunch of research for that.
0: Oh, I could just tell you everything. I could just talk. for. I mean, time. we
1: could just do it that style. I'll just ask you to explain Sailor Moon to me. Done. That'll be an episode. And I won't
0: look anything up. I'll just make it up. And when people are like, that's nice. not actually what happened, I'll be like, no, no, it's fine.
1: Don't we care. don't care. We're dorks, not nerds. How many times we got to tell you fuckers?
0: The only thing that I want to uh, actually look up is, is it pronounced Uranus or Uranus? Because speaking about Sailor Uranus... Or sailor uranus
1: yeah that brings us full circle doesn't it we're back to My god we are that's a tight episode it was we out (laughs) here goes the dork matters again
0: dork matters thanks for listening to dork matters if you like the podcast subscribe give a rating and tell a friend about us if you are a fellow dork and have a dork issue that you think we need to discuss tell us on our social media You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out our original art and other content from Ben and myself.
1: We'd like to say a big thank you to Yabra for the use of our theme song, Dance, off of their Astral EP, as well as a thank you to Jess Schmidt for producing and editing our podcast. Thanks, Jess. Dork Matters.
0: This podcast is created on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot nations, which includes the Sikziga, the Bigani, and the Gaina. We also acknowledge the Stony Nakota Nation, Sutena and Metis Region 3.
1: Dork Matters is a proud member of the Alberta Public Radio Podcast Network.